I'm Father Mitch Pacwa, and welcome to EWTN Live. We bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we'll talk about the future of the church with regard to the discernment and formation of young men who are moving toward the ordained priesthood. First, I want to speak briefly with EWTN's Peter Gagnon about EWTN's special Christmas programming. Peter. What have you got for us this year? Well, as we approach Christmas and the Christmas season, we really um, try to highlight the season, of course. And we begin usually um, on the 17th with the O Antiphons when we start airing some of our Christmas programming. So people yes. can start tuning in next week. Mm -hmm. And um, we literally bring programming from around the world. Um, yes. uh, the major events are the liturgical events. We have events from here, from Washington, D.C., from Rome, from the Holy Land, um, liturgical events throughout the Christmas season, specifically Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. And then um, also we have musical events. We have a musical event from the Shrine in Knock, a beautiful Candles and Carols program, mm -hmm. and a brand new Christmas concert, concert from the Catholic University of America, as well as additional Christmas um, musical specials that our choir did that we've taped in previous years. But there's also a, a new one coming up that'll air later in the Christmas season around Epiphany. We also want to highlight our, our children's programming. A lot of special children's um, content out there. So for a lot of kids are out of school, um, mm -hmm. so we'll have special Chris children's programming, Christmas programming for them throughout the um, the weeks, the next couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then also a lot of our live shows will have Christmas specials. You did yeah. a couple of Christmas specials yes, from the I prison. Did. Um, this time prison, a yeah, women's prison. A women's prison, exactly. Mm -hmm. And a very touching, very moving. Um, there's music as part of those specials, mm -hmm. so people can tune in for that. And always we have Mother Angelica's Reflections on Christmas. So we yeah. have three episodes with her over the years that she would reflect on the true meaning of Christmas, what gift are you giving to the Christ child this year. And um, all this content can be, the information on that can be found on our website. Go to EWTN.com forward slash Christmas, and you can, our viewers can find out what's playing and at what time in their area. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with tonight's guest, so please stay with us. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is working to encourage Catholic seminarians to take on the joys and burdens of ministry in a postmodern and post-Christian world. He's the rector of the Pontifical College Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, where the vision is to prepare holy, generous, adaptable, and resilient priests dedicated to pastoral ministry in the 21st century. Here to share with us how they do that, please welcome Father Stephen Bissot. Father Bissot, welcome. Good uh, to have you here. Good to have you here with thanks us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, delighted. You know, how long have you been the rector? This is my fifth year as the rector at the Josephinum. And is it your first gig as working in the seminary? It's my second gig. Okay. So for three years, I taught moral theology at the Athenaeum Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Cincinnati. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is my second That's time That's also around. a good, good seminary. Excellent seminary, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, one of the things, when we talked earlier, something else that you had mentioned is that you had worked in campus ministry. Uh, where was that? So I was the chaplain and the director of the St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center in Lawrence, Kansas for the University of Kansas. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm also a graduate of KU, mm -hmm. but I was there for 10 years as the chaplain. As a matter of fact, KU has a, a very fine tradition of strong Catholic presence there, yeah. as I recall. I've Absolutely, read a for bit decades. About some of that. Decades. Yes. St. Lawrence's. Uh, it's, a, it's a real model for campus ministry. It, it has been since the 70s. It continues mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it was a real blessing to be there in my time. And, 
And it was a number of lay uh, professors who had done a lot of that work, but you know, the church sending people like yourself there, yeah. campus ministry. Yeah. You talked about, uh, when we had a conversation earlier, you mentioned some of the importance of, you know, vocation at that college level. What were some of the things you saw going on with college students? Well, Father Mitch, you know, people say, people say that there's two times where you grow the most in life. Mm -hmm. The first is from the time you're conceived to five years old. Mm -hmm. But then, then the second time is between the ages of 18 to 23. Mm -hmm. So that's the sweet spot for vocations. Right then, people are starting to, to learn about themselves. They move away from their families. And um, they start to think about vocation in a very natural way. So people in, who are involved in campus ministry find this is uh, at the heart of what we do. Mm -hmm. And so one of the blessings, I think, for priests and sisters, for the people that work at the campus centers, is looking at that as a real opportunity to help them to discern what God's plan is for their life. Mm -hmm. And they tend to be more open to this as well. Yeah. Well, and, and this is not only vocation to the priesthood and religious life, but it's also vocation to marriage and helping them to discern that be the majority of the students Absolutely. trying to figure out marriage and where, where they're headed in that aspect of life as well. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I would tell the students, I say, I could, I could, could not care less what your vocation is. Could not care less. But I'm absolutely obsessed that you come to know what your vocation is and have the courage to live it. Yes. And I think that really, that attitude creates a spirit or a sense of freedom and openness for them. So I have a little, maybe a little funny story that mm -hmm. happened. One time we had mass every day at 5.15 in the evening. And after mass, I was standing with a group of guys. and There were 10 guys right after mass. And we're all talking. And I realized nine of them were actively discerning the priesthood. And only one of them was dating. Mm -hmm. And I said, guys, we've got a problem. Nine of you are discerning priesthood and only one of you is dating. I said, nine of you should be dating and only one of you should be discerning the priesthood, which is not typical of what most people think a priest should be doing. Mm -hmm. But the idea is we want to make sure that, um, that there's a freedom and an openness when, when they're discerning. And I think we saw that at the St. Lawrence Center. Many, we had dozens and dozens of men that went to seminary. We had many women go to religious life. And of course, we had many more marriages and weddings mm -hmm. in that time as well. The, this is a, a point that the founder of my own order, St. Ignatius of Loyola, tried to seek in uh, directing souls, is to get to a point where you would be equal-minded to whatever vocation you may have. If God wants me to be married, I want that vocation. If God wants me in religious life, as a brother, as a priest, as a monk, uh, or as, in the case of women, as nuns, uh, I want to follow that vocation. It, it doesn't matter because I trust that God will give me the vocation that is best for me and for the church. Yeah. That's, you know, having that equal-mindedness is a key part of the discernment process. That's wonderful. So not only, uh, I, when I was at the St. Lawrence Center, we had a community of sisters, the Apostles of the Interior Life, who worked with me. Mm -hmm. And they did mm -hmm. spiritual direction, and, and quite a bit of it was based on the Ignatian method. Yes. So well, the way you describe it is exactly the way that it was brought to the students at KU. And mm -hmm. I think that had a lot, that they made a huge impact on the vocations at the St. Lawrence Center as well. One of the problems that I see is a lot of young people, I'd, as a matter of fact, quite frankly, it's the majority of people who are single today. They haven't made a vocation choice. They aren't getting married. They may be having children they may be living with another person in a, a sexually involved relationship. 
they uh, may be doing things that look or just staying with friends, but they are not making the commitment to a vocation. And I don't know if this fits your sense, but I, my read is that a lot of these young folks are so afraid to fail at it that they don't make the full commitment lest it fall apart. Yes. How, does that relate to your experience at without all? Without a doubt, Father Mitch, without a doubt. I remember I started at KU in 2005 as the chaplain, and I, I was a student there. I, I graduated in 1988. And knowing that I knew things would be different. But one thing that really uh, fascinated me was that the overarching emotion for so many university students was fear. Fear of making a mistake. Yeah. Fear of choosing the wrong major. Fear of choosing the wrong life partner in marriage. Mm -hmm. and, and as a result, a lot of times they were paralyzed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, they were paralyzed to make a decision, not even to make a decision, to go on a date or uh, you know, to choose the wrong major. And they thought their whole life would be ruined if they chose the wrong major. Or if they went on a date with someone, then their, their whole life might be ruined. So they, they held back a lot of times. Yeah. Very much, I, I, I saw that. But if you could help them overcome that, and that this is great, this is good, dating is very, uh, a very good way to meet people and get to know not only other people, but yourself. Um, to try different things out, to, you know, to, to study different things, it, they really opened up. But, but you had to overcome an initial fear. I sense, especially in those young people, uh, by young, I mean 28, uh, <laughs> these are kids to me, <laughs> but in young people in their late 20s um, who have not made a decision, they remind me of 10-year-olds who go up the high dive and when they get there they look down too long and they won't take the plunge mm. into life sure. and th and that affects not only the vocation to marriage but also the vocation to the priesthood and to religious life right and, and this is something that Part of uh, what we adults can do is try to be there to encourage them to make those decisions. And if, when they make some errors and mistakes, we're there to try to help them with it. Yeah. And, and on the opposite side, some people jump in too quickly into a relationship and to making a decision without, undue, without proper discernment. Yeah. So you do see both sides of it. Yeah. But I think more, more often than not, it would be a struggle with making a decision and, and, and finally doing it. Given this kind of problem, how do you then, you obviously have a, a number of young men at the Josephinum who have made the decision to pursue the priesthood, the ordained priesthood. What do you see then as the way you, you deal with them? What, what are they like? What helps them to develop the personal skills and abilities to make that decision? Yeah. So there, there's two discernments, mm -hmm. right? I think for every man who, you, the first discernment is to go to seminary. Mm -hmm. And then the second discernment is to become a priest. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're discerning to go to the seminary, we use that term, well, I'm discerning to become a priest. But the real discernment is to go to the seminary. And what I tell the men is, the discernment to become a priest is much easier than the discernment that you undertook to become to come to seminary. And why, why is, is that? that? Well, because most of the time you're doing it with by yourself. Maybe you have a, a one priest. Maybe you're talking to your parents. You have a few other people. Maybe you know a seminarian. Maybe you know a couple. But you don't have much much um, much help otherwise. But as soon as you come to the seminary, you have a formator, you have a spiritual director, and you have a community of brothers who are all in the same path. Mm -hmm. 
So you, and then you know, with the priests, with your bishop, with your vocation director, you're spending years in your prayer, you're working with your spiritual director, uh, you're learning about the priesthood, you're learning about celibacy, you're learning about the church. So when it comes time later into theology, when you, when you come in to the bishop and say, I want to petition to be, be ordained uh, a deacon and then a priest, that's a fairly straightforward, simple decision at that mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. you know? So that's, that, but the real decision is to come to the seminary. Once you get to the seminary, then that discernment uh, becomes uh, easier. Mm -hmm. and, and the opposite too, some guys will come and they'll, they'll be there for six months, a year, two years, and, and come to realize, yeah, this, this is not my vocation, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is wonderful too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. If that's not where our Lord wants them, then they ought not be there. Yeah. You know, again, the, the key is to, how do I serve our Lord? Yeah. What does He think is the best way for me to serve Amen. Him and His church? Amen. Yeah. And, and even if a man comes to seminary, say he's there for a year or two, he's not losing anything because he's really growing in his manhood, in his faith, mm -hmm. in his prayer life. Uh, if at the end of that time he says, I, I'm not called to the priesthood, he's going to have the gifts to be a really good husband and father as a result of his time in the seminary. You know, that's, that's an interesting comment. Um, you know, I went to high school seminary and, uh, and I went to our class, our 50th class reunion uh, a few years ago. <laughs> and uh, one of the comments we heard from the wives of the men who did, you know, follow the vocation to marriage. They'd been in high school and even sometimes the college seminary. Um, and then, and they said over and over again, without us even asking, you guys have come to us women with so much respect and you, you, you know, you're, you're gentlemen. They taught you well at that school. And we as wives and mothers appreciate what, you know, what they did for you at the seminary to make you the men that you are. And that was a, that was a common, really overwhelming uh, statement that they yeah. made. A former rector uh, said one time, our job at the seminary is to form fathers, some of whom will become priests. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part. Of, that's what he means. Yes. That we're, you know we're forming you to be a man first of all. You know we we say uh, you know only men can be priests. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people say well that means women can't be priests. Okay, but but it also means in the seminary it means boys cannot be priests. Yes. You know so there's a there's a maturation process that that, that a person undergoes in seminary. Yes. And it's a real formation. And it might be the best formation that any. Catholic can receive mm -hmm. being able to go to a seminary. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I certainly, I mean, obviously I ended up a priest as did you, and I'm truly a lifer. I mean, I started mm -hmm. when I was 14, uh, and, you know, it has been a, a great formation in, in, in so many levels, you know, because you, you still have to interact. Uh, with other people, the, the, the other men in the seminary, the people who are in charge of formation, and they're look, and, and this is something you may want to discuss, but the people in charge of formation are concerned that the young men are developing into mature men. That yes. is a big issue for them to, that's their responsibility along with teaching the facts of the faith. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We talk about seminary formation in many different ways, but uh, one, one way we describe it is it, it begins in a man developing self-awareness, and from that he develops self-possession, mm -hmm. and then he can become a man of self-gift. Mm -hmm. right. right. So the first step of seminary, and, and you know that those first years of seminary, the focus is primarily going to be on who this man is. Mm -hmm. Where did he come from? His human, you know, his family, his gifts, his talents, his strengths, his, his growing areas. And for him to become aware of this, 
right? Because, because our vocation is always to the person. You know, priests, we're not cookie cutters. We're not cookie cutter priests. We're, we're all very different, you know. Not all of us are hunters. Not all of us are <laughs> basketball players, you know. But, but nevertheless, so... And not all of us are scholars. Scholars, And, no. you know, the, it, it's, it's just a wide variety yeah. you know, that we people have. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a real gift to the priesthood. But for a man to begin in self-awareness, who am I in light of the Lord, in light of the Lord? And, and that becomes the foundation. And once you come to know who you are, the, the, it's not a self-absorption, right? It's not, oh, this is who I am. Because that's the worst thing anybody can say, well, this is who I am, just deal with it. So it's, who am I in light of the Lord? And then I possess this. And this is the language of Pope John Paul. Right, this, that I possess myself. But once again, it's not to hold myself, but then I can become this man for others, this gift, this self-giving, which is who a priest is. A priest is called to be that man who pours himself out for the Lord, for the people in the church. I can't ever imagine thinking to the men that formed me, this is who I am, deal with it. <laughs> Oh, I don't think they no. <laughs> would have gotten to that any more than my daddy would have gotten to that. <laughs> that just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. It, it's, it is about, like our Lord himself with the apostles. He doesn't say, well, uh, Judas comes up and says, well, I'm a thief. Deal with it. No. Yeah. No, as a matter of fact. <laughs> and the same with our Lord confronted Peter and the other apostles and John and James in, in all these different circumstances in order for them to become better than they were. Yeah. And I, I think the men today in seminary are very open to that. They're very open to it. Now, can we approach it the same way that it may have been done in the 50 years ago or 40 years ago? No, I don't think we can do it in that way. But they really are open to uh, growing, first of all, in holiness and, and growing into the fullness of stature that, that they know they're called to be in light of the Lord. Often when I'm preparing couples for marriage, I will say to, especially in addressing the young man, is that there are two key moments of him becoming a man. One is when he makes a commitment to one woman to marry her, to be faithful to her, and stay with them, her until death do them part. And that kind of commitment is key to making him a, a good man. The second moment is when he holds his first child and realizes you depend on me, and I'm here for you for the rest of your life and the rest of my life. Those two moments are crucial turning points away from self-absorption to others. Yeah. I think parallel for us priests is when a man realizes I'm meant to be, and, and uh, I don't know how much you heard this in seminary, I didn't, but I read it in the Vatican Council. We priests act in the person of Christ, in persona Christi. It's repeated seven different times in the yeah. documents of Vatican II. Yeah. And I don't know, did you hear much we about didn't, that? We didn't hear much about it in the seminary. No, when, no, we didn't. I was ordained in 95. It wasn't... Uh, that present. And for me, it was 76, and it was not part of the mood. But, you know, if I'm in the person of Christ, I have to love the church the way Christ loves it. He's the bridegroom of the church. Yeah. And I take that same commitment to the church as bride, not as employer. Yes, yes. That's key. And then I have to love the people of God the way a man loves his children. I'm called father because I'm there for them as they need me. Like any dad is there for his kids yeah. whenever they get sick or have needs. Does that make sense to the, the oh, formation? Yeah. And you know, the formal term is in persona Christi. 
capitis, capitis. right, mm -hmm. in the person of Christ the head. Mm -hmm. And it's not to lord it over people, but it is a, it is a, a, a place of service. Um, and, you know, the catechism does a beautiful job of explaining that with the, the role of the bishop, the priest, and the deacon, but especially the bishop and the priest who share in this, in this mission of Christ that we are actually Christ to those people mm -hmm. in a way, in that leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think there's a greater emphasis on that right now. I think that, that yeah. that's returned. I, I think, think so, that's too. That's been part of it now. Uh, I, I, I suspect that was uh, an aspect of the Vatican II teaching on priesthood uh, scattered throughout the diocese. It's not just one document. It's in hmm. Sacrosanctum Concilium, the Constitutional Liturgy, the Lumen Gentium, the Constitution on the Church, in the document on the priesthood, document on the bishops, it's scattered throughout. And I think we're able to look more soberly at the council documents and see that it's closely associated with the call to holiness, yeah. as well as the vocation to priesthood. That they, they, It's constantly in that kind of context. Uh, that we're called to holiness as acting in per the person of Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. This, um, when it comes to the seminarians, how do they look upon the, the, the sacramental life uh, that they live as seminarians? They, they can't celebrate Mass, mm -hmm. um, you know, not till the day they're actually ordained. But, you know, how do... Do they deal with the sacramental life and their growth as seminarians and as men? Yeah. So in the seminary, and I think this is true of some all seminaries today, the sacramental life, the liturgical life, is is the heart of the day, the week. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about the orarium, with you know the fancy name for a schedule. Yes. But the orarium at the seminary really revolves around the liturgy, the liturgy of the hours, the holy mass. Uh, Holy Hour, uh, uh, Compline, and um, of course, confessions offered every day for the men. It's available as well. Um, they live the sacramental life. Mm -hmm. you know, it, I don't know what the exact... One priest said that by the time a man is ordained, I, I think he said he'll spend 7,000 hours in the chapel in his time in seminary. This guy who said that has a lot of time to calculate this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at math. I would say He's so. He's good at math. But when you think about it, when you're in the chapel for morning prayer and mass and you do holy hour and, and compline or evening prayer and compline and, you know, you make visits to the chapel and um, it really can add up. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you know a seminarian is going to be in that chapel two, three hours a day at a minimum. One of the points that the Vatican Council made in regard to priests and bishops is that they're, we're part of the universal call to holiness. Yeah. Every, every single person in the church is called to be holy and called to be a saint. That's the vocation for everybody. But they, it mentions how we are in direct contact with the sacraments as we celebrate mass as bishops ordain or confirm and hear confessions and anoint the sick uh, with all these sacraments we baptize directly that these are the essence of holiness and our holiness has to reflect that we are touching these holy moments key to the lives of our people. Yeah. And, and if you come to the seminary, and we'd love to have you visit, if you come to the seminary, you'll, you'll see these men, they're immersed in the sacraments. Mm -hmm. They're immersed in the prayer, in the holiness, and, and they're engaged, in a, in the, in a, in a, truly engaged in, in that. Um, it, it's at the heart of who we are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that, you know, the Lumen Gentium chapter 5 the, on the universal call to holiness is, is the beginning. It's, it's for yes, everyone. Exactly. It's for everyone, including priests. You know? Yes, uh, absolutely. And priests. in the document on the priests and the document on the bishops, it repeats that same yeah. call from Lumen Gentium. 
Holiness is essential. Yeah. We have to take a little break, Father. So if you want to find out more about the Pontifical College Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio, you can simply go to pcj.edu, pcj.edu. Um, and you get a lot more information about that school, that seminary in particular. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Please stay with us. Welcome back. We are speaking with Father Stephen Bissot, who is the rector of the Pontifical College Josephinum, a seminary in Columbus, Ohio. And one of the things, Father, that uh, over the years, um, there have been lots and lots of changes in seminary training. Uh, I was still uh, in high school seminary in a day where we were taught a lot of Latin uh, and, you know, this would be part of things, but things began changing as time went on uh, and not just in languages, but uh, in other areas. What is the direction that's being taken now in the program of study? Yeah. One thing that really has become clear is a move away from an emphasis on the academics mm -hmm. to uh, a formation that is integral and united. Mm -hmm. So in the past, like when I was in seminary, more or less, if you were a good guy, you went to mass most of the time and you got good grades, you'd be ordained, Okay, right? There wasn't much. I mean, there was a little more, but there wasn't a lot. Well. Then they started, we started to talk about the four pillars of formation, human, spiritual, intellectual, and pastoral. And, and that goes back to Pope St. John Paul's apostolic exhortation, pastoris tibi dabo. Dabos phobias. Yes, dabos phobias. Yep, pastoris dabos phobias. Yeah, so, and much of what we do today, and we've done since, is a reflection of that document. So much of our seminary formation today remains mm -hmm. the thought of Pope St. John Paul. In the new document, so there was a, the, the document we call it the PPF, the Program for Priestly Formation. And last year, we, have the, we had the sixth edition come out. And so we no longer talk about the pillars of formation. We talk about the dimensions. Mm -hmm. And the point of that is to, to help us realize that they're not individual silos but the human affects the spiritual and the spiritual affects the intellectual mm -hmm. and the intellectual mm -hmm. and spiritual mm -hmm. and human affect the pastoral. And so, you know, it, you it's, don't it's want all to put together. them into separate compartments, but see integration Integ of all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not that. So in that regard, though, we do spend a lot of time, especially at the beginning, focusing on the human. Mm -hmm. You know, who, as I said, who am I? Who am I in light of the Lord? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what are my family of origin issues? What are, what are we dealing with? We've spent a lot of time on spiritual, too. The men are in, in the chapel a lot more than I would have been maybe 30 years ago, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and the expectations in that regard. Yeah. Um, intellectual remains solid, philosophy and catechesis, and then moving into theology after that. And then pastoral in all sorts of things. You know, the, almost all the men will have a pastoral assignment or an apostolic work. They'll go to visit the hospitals. They'll go to campus ministry. They'll work in parishes. They do teaching. Um, so they're, they're involved in all those areas. And so when we, when we form the men, we really think about all those things. But the, the one thing that's really changed is the integration and the greater emphasis on the human and the spiritual. You know, the, the, having all these different uh, dimensions developed 
reminds me of an old French saying that says, uh, uh, this problem is so difficult, even a newly ordained priest doesn't have an answer. <laughs> it's, it's a matter of learning <laughs> that yeah, you may not know everything yet, and being ordained doesn't mean you have all the answers. You have to learn a lot That's as you go through. Yeah, yeah. And a, and a newly ordained does know a lot. Yeah, you know because they've does. been through at least six years of formation, and they want to share that. Yeah. But you are right. It's sometimes a temptation when we're young priests is to give everybody the answer, whether <laughs> we know it or not. Yes, indeed. And this this is. Um, uh, something that uh, I, I think is extremely important in modern life where in general the, the society is experiencing high levels of anxiety, depression is very common, and uh, narcissism is, uh, I mean, by, by narcissism, I mean clinically identifiable narcissistic disorders uh, are, are very common, and psychologists describe them as pandemic uh, of nar clinical narcissism. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, sociopathy, you know, wide variety of difficulties, uh, and we see it in the news, you know, strangers going up to the elderly and just punching them yeah. for no reason. That's sociopathic. Uh, and it's an on and on with these. It's very important to remember our guys come out of this culture and these elements have to be identified. What can be worked on, what can't be. This is yeah, the formation. Absolutely. And I want to say the men in seminary are good men. Yeah. There's not a bad man in the bunch. They really are good men. And that's, it's a real blessing. Yeah. Uh, and, and they're there because they need to be there. Now, what, will they all become priests? No, but they are there. But one thing I did notice, well, as I said, when I started in campus ministry, so I've been in, working with young adults for now almost 20 years. And I remember, as I said, when I came to KU, the thing that struck me the most was that fear seemed to be the most overarching or predominant emotion among young people. Mm -hmm. And I would think, no, you, you would, it would be the excitement for a future, but it was really fear. And I think I have noticed that, that that's developed from fear into anxiety. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a different mode of emotion and experience. And, mm -hmm. well. and there's, there, I'm sure there's a number of reasons for it, but I think you know, with uh, divorce, with uh, separation, um, it, it really can create issues with, with young people. Sure. Um, that, the narcissism, that desire for perfection, which, which, which is part of that fear, that fear of making a mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to overcome that. And then also just the fear of, you know, in the postmodern world where you have to make up your own everything, <laughs> even your identity. You know, there's a lot of pressure in that. Yeah. You know, when we were young, we didn't have, we knew who we were. Our, our parents told us. Exactly. The, the culture told us, everybody. But now, nobody can tell you. That creates, that, that would be crushing. Yeah. And that, that would lead to anxiety. You mean I have to make up my own identity? And how long does this last? What, and when I stop feeling this, I feel something else? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So helping, and I, you know, the guys in the seminary, they are part of that generation. But at the same time, they, many of them come in with a strong prayer life. Many of them already have spiritual directors, and, um, and many of them do know the faith well. Mm -hmm. that's, yeah. that's very important, yeah. very important, um, because it's, uh, again, I'm thinking back a couple decades, uh, but uh, I certainly came across a number of Jesuit seminarians who were never even taught for instance, the, the seven sacraments, mm -hmm. they didn't know. Uh, they had never gotten that prior to novitiate. Yes. And some, uh, two of them I met, didn't know that there were mysteries to the rosary, yet alone how to say the Apostles' Creed, the glory be. They knew the Hail Mary and the Our Father, that was it. Yeah. 
you know, and they didn't know the mysteries, and, and so many other things, just part of Catholic life. I think that has been improving over the last 20 years since the catechism, 30 years now since the catechism yeah. came out. Yeah, it's getting better. But you're right, but there's still a lot of people come into seminary, and there, there's a lot of that basic knowledge that they don't have either. So that's one of the things the church started this year in the United States. The, so instead of beginning immediately in philosophy, we now begin with what they call the propedeutic stage. The, What's that Which is mean? a fancy name for yeah. your first year of formation. Okay. Basically. So we, we take what, what, the, what the church says is in your first year, you cannot study philosophy. And there, you have a limited number of academic courses. And the focus is on human formation, self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-growth, and the spiritual. Mm -hmm. But we also take, so at the, at the Josephinum, we, we started it this year, and uh, one of the courses we offer, it's a seminar, it's on Catholic traditions and practices. Mm -hmm. And we, we do everything from, you know, they go to museums, they, they, we go to, to sacred um, concerts, but we talk to them about the Marian devotions. We talk about these, these things that you would think, maybe when we entered, we would have taken for granted. Right. Um, so we begin with that very basic knowledge. And that's, it's been a real blessing, I think, for the men oh, to enter good. into this. Yeah, so you, you presume they don't have as much knowledge. And they, you know, they, they probably don't. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we don't see the, the same number of popular devotions that, uh, you know, in the, the, a lot of the schools and catechism mm -hmm. programs, and sometimes it's not in the parish anymore. People remember, older people might remember them, but they don't know how to do them anymore. These, uh, you know, recovering that and recovering the, this uh, Catholic culture, not for the sake of doing whatever was old, but because this was part of the sanctification of different parts yeah. of the day, the month, the year, et cetera, as we had this uh, w various ways of praying. Yeah, and a lot of that was tied more to a culture, you know, the Polish devotions. The, and right. of course today, well today, you know, as we, um, or yesterday we celebrated Our Lady of Guadalupe. Yes. You know, and, and so, and that's a, that's a beautiful, devotion that people still have and still celebrate. Yes. Yeah. You know, when we talk about prayer, we talk about the devotional prayer, rosaries, novenas, and then we also talk about liturgical prayer, mm -hmm. the mass, the hours, and then there's also mental prayer, interior prayer. Mm -hmm. And the, the men experience that every day in the seminary. And we want to encourage them to go out and help lay people in the same way. Now, in some, I don't know about your seminary, in some seminaries, they have a time where everyone in the seminary is expected to make a holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament mm -hmm. and do their, not pray the office, they'd have that at another time, but to do that time for personal private prayer. Does that go on in mm -hmm. your school? Yeah, yeah. We have a holy hour every day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and depending on the level of where they are in formation, it's required. But it, it's at the minimum, it'll be required twice a, twice a week. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's yeah. But, but the ex we would say this, um, maybe they're not required, especially in the, uh, you know, as they uh, progress further in the seminary, it's not required, but it's expected. Mm -hmm. right? So once again, going to that freedom that we expect you to do a holy hour every day. In, you know, that can't be underestimated. Uh, you know, if a priest does not keep coming back to his own relationship with Christ, he, the well will run dry. Yeah. He won't have as much to share in his homilies. It'll be, you know, it's just himself. Yeah. You're not it, bringing Christ, you're bringing yourself. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a bell that isn't well-founded, you know, that it, it has a clink in it that isn't quite right. It doesn't have the resonance. And that's what, you know, one of the things you look for, Christ gives us a resonance that connects us to him first and to the people and our own experience. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the gift of a priest. 
to act in the person of Christ. Yes. Yeah. This, it sounds as if, um, you know, we've gone through a, a lot of struggle to figure out how to prepare priests for this modern time. I'd say over the last 60 years, um, I can certainly recall some of the experiments beginning back when I was in uh, high school seminary. And, uh, but it sounds as if things are settling down for uh, a steady kind of growth. And it's not just, let's just experiment, figure this out. No, it's, it's, a lot has been learned over these decades. Yeah. Clarity is a good word, I, I think, to define mm -hmm. it. You know, it, we, there's a clarity now about formation. That being said, I, I, was, you know, I, th I think about this. So the, we have men that are 18 years old at the seminary. If they're ordained priests, they'll be celebrating their 50th anniversary sometime in the 2080s. Their whole ministry is going to be in this century. And imagine the changes that are going to happen between now and 2080. Um, and that's what, so at the beginning you mentioned the, the, the four taglines that uh, the, the seminarians are a bit sick of me talking to them about it, but holiness, generosity, adaptability, and resiliency, mm -hmm. right? And I think it's holiness will always be in fashion. It'll not be in the world, but for a priest, holiness is there. The men are generous. You know, they really are generous. And we need to help them become adaptable and resilient because who knows what the battles will be in 10 years, or 20, or 30, or 40? Yeah, I wouldn't say that at this particular moment of uh, modern history that the society is warming itself up to a love of Christ, the church, and the clergy. No. I would say that this is a time of you know, a lot of anger being directed against religion, not just Catholicism, but mm -hmm. religion in general. And, um, you know, the, many of these uh, universities, you know, being religious or saying religious things gets stamped down. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, it's not quite at this moment uh, very friendly. These guys are being prepared to stand up courageously in what could be difficult times. Yeah, and to be poor, and to be poor. We're not gonna have the resources that we did maybe 20, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. you know? Which is okay, yeah. which is okay. We, we don't need a lot of things, but we will be fine. The other thing that I, I'm really impressed with these men is they value friendships with the other guys. Mm -hmm. You know, community life's very important for seminarians. Now, in this, when they become priests, Community life's not possible, but fraternity and friendship, non-negotiables. And I think they want that. You know, the idea that, I don't think they want to be that lone ranger priest that's out there by himself. Right. And they know that, and, and especially as we move forward into a culture that's less receptive to faith, and especially Catholicism, the need to have good friends and fraternity to support one another. And they get that. And I think that's another strength of this next generation of priests. And you know, the, the day when, especially for parish priests, when there would be two to five priests yeah. in a parish house, that's not in the near future. No. And so they have to find ways that they can adapt to, you know, a, a certain type of isolation from other priests and yet find ways to get support from brother priests to deal with the, the challenges of their parishes. Yeah, right now they've got community. You know, they, they can walk out of their room and there's 30 guys down the hall or down in the pub they can talk to, but they get ordained and they, they might, they'll be living with one other priest and their Maybe. closest friends are, you know, an hour away. So they have to be intentional about that. Yes, you know? yeah, and that's, I'm sure that that's part of the training yeah. they have to get. Um, because in that loneliness, if they allow loneliness to you know, overwhelm them, you know, the temptations to deal with loneliness in ways that are not right uh, for them or for other people 
um, could overwhelm them. And this is something where they have to be very uh, well prepared yeah. to handle that in this integrated way. Yeah. Yeah, even sometimes guys who would be seen as very holy, you know, if they're not integrating these other elements, that can still cover over, you know, problems. These, you know, having good friends that yeah. will address this, you know, what's going on in you, that's very important. Yeah, we pay attention to that. In fact, we, you know, one of the questions we'll ask them is, we'll ask them who your friends are and what do you do and, and how do you engage in that? Mm -hmm. And some men come to the seminary and they may not even know how to make friends, right? They may, it just wasn't ever a part of their life, mm -hmm. which is fine. You know, in the same way you don't, maybe you don't know how to pray the rosary, maybe you didn't know how to develop friendship. But the thing with the seminary, these men, they're coming into a brotherhood, a community. Yes. So it's, it's not that we have to teach them, but they enter into this and they learn what it means. Um, and it's not so much the formators in this regard, it's their brother seminarians that really help them grow into in, who they're called to be. Which I would even think is part of their formation. I want to, we're getting close to the end here, but I want to uh, direct people to find out more about the Pontifical College Josephinum in Columbus, Ohio. Again, you can go to pcj.edu, pcj.edu. Also, if you want more information on EWTN's upcoming Christmas programming, go to EWTN.com slash Christmas, EWTN.com slash Christmas. We've got some great specials coming up and it's been a lot of fun to, to make them. So, Father, thank you very much for coming all the way up down here to be with us. And uh, if you would join me in giving a blessing to our audience. Almighty God bless you all and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he lead you in all of your ways by his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And, you know, we can bring Father Besot to talk about his very important work in the seminary, and we can also bring you a lot of these Christmas specials only because they are brought to you by you. That's how our Lord inspired Mother Angelica to have this network run. So especially in this Christmas season, as we bring you programs from around the world, keep us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill, and we'll be able to pay all of our bills too. God bless you and thank you.